I always feel the need to say good morning. I don't know why. It seems like you always feel the need to say something to break the ice. So uh, good morning to all of you. <laughs> um, how many of you guys have seen the movie uh, Remember the Titans? A couple of years ago. Pretty good movie. It's for those of you who, um, who haven't seen it or to refresh your memory, it's about a, a, a football team in the South um, during the days when they were integrating high schools. Um, the, uh, all of a sudden, half of the team um, was black, and the, and the, the coach was um, appointed, uh, who was appointed was, was, uh, was black, and there was a lot of strife on the team, a lot of strife in the town. And the best part of the movie for me was to watch the, the, the young men uh, come together to try to win the state football championship in the midst of all this. And so, for me, the real draw was watching them um, in their interpersonal relationships uh, overcome uh, prejudice and, and other uh, class problems within them in order so, or between them in order for them to uh, become a team to gel and to win. It occurred to me, we're going to be looking about um, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 16, and... Uh, I've kind of been, this, this passage has kind of reminded me, or, or, or it seems to me that in, in, a, in some way, the body of Christ is a team, and I'm going to be um, kind of describing uh, the attributes that we need to have to be successful. I hate to say successful, but what I mean to say is to, uh, to achieve our goal. Um, whereas the Titans wanted to win a football game, or many football games, in order to win the championship, um, our goal is to further the cause of Christ, to further the gospel message so that other people can know about him, so they can have what we have already. I'd like to read the definition of team from the big, thick uh, uh, Oxford Dictionary we have in our home. Uh, it says, a number of persons associated in some joint action. Uh, joint meaning all of us together, and the, and, and the action that we have is, is the Great Commission. The two things that, that I believe that, that I'm going to be talking about this morning that have to do with um, being a good team is, number one, unity, that we're united in purpose. The second thing is how to be a team player. In other words, our own interpersonal relationships. I'd like to start not in Philippians. Um, sorry to lead you astray for a second, but we're going to be going to uh, John chapter 17, verses 20 through 23, for, um, to start talking about unity. This is the upper room uh, discourse that, that, Mike, we've read this before earlier, I don't know if it was this year or last year, um, where Jesus is speaking to his disciples right before he's uh, led away to be crucified. He says in verse 20, I do not ask on, on behalf of these alone, meaning the disciples that are with him, but for those also who believe in me through their word, which is all Christians since then, including us, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, 
so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you have loved me. True unity is a byproduct of our relationship with Jesus Christ. In, uh, in the passage, Jesus talks about the Father and Himself being, being one, and then also that we, are in, that we are in them, that we are one with them. It's through that personal relationship that we have unity, not only with God, but also if, if, if we have, if we all, if each of us have that personal relationship, then we, then we by, his, by, by that relationship with God, have unity amongst ourselves. A good example of this is um, something I was reminded of from Tanya and I's marriage counseling uh, 10 years ago. Um, and it, I've heard this other times too, that um, in our marriage, if we're both looking, if it's a, it's a triangle and if, we're, and if God's on top and, and Tanya and I are the other vertices, that we're, as we look up to, to God and have Him in common, that we as spouses will, will have unity with each other, and that that will greatly um, aid our marriage and, and bless our marriage, and that's been true. What unity is not is to focus on on uh, issues or certain doctrines. It's not something unity isn't something that you can get by manufacturing it or papering papering over something or whitewashing something or rewording a a, a a statement. Um, it's it's again it's a byproduct of a relationship with God. In the news, I'm thinking of uh, Episcopals, especially who are who where there's a large schism because they're allowing homosexuals to be a bishop. You know, Episcopals who 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 believe in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and who value God's Word. Those those Episcopals they have unity already. They have unity through their relationship with God. The Episcopals who believe that God's word is whatever they say it is, out of convenience, and um, who don't know God, quite frankly, those two groups of, of Episcopals will never have unity with one another. They're, I don't care what they try to do or whatever they reword, there will never be unity with those with two groups of people where one values God's word and, and, and God and the, other, and the other group which don't. Unity is also essential to the spread of the gospel. If you look in, the, in John, two times Jesus says, so that the reason that he asked for unity is so that the world may believe, in verse 21, and then verse 23, so that the world may know. And it's, it's, this is our purpose, the body of Christ, is to spread the gospel. And it's, it's, as I was thinking about this, you know, in one way, you know, as unity is a byproduct of a personal relationship with God, it's also a tool, as it were, for any team in order to accomplish its goal. And so it's important for us, in order to spread the gospel, to be unified as a, as, as a body of Christ and as a small church body here at Lion and Lamb. I'd like to read a few verses that, that support that about the spread of the gospel. In, first, in Philippians chapter 1, Verse 27, it says, Paul says, Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the gospel 
for the for the faith of the gospel. Later on in the second chapter, verses uh, fourteen and fifteen, he also he says he also supports the reason for unity. He says, "Do all things without grumbling or or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent." children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain or toil in vain. If we don't have unity, we're not going to be able to most effectively spread the gospel because we're not going to appear as lights. We're going to appear and sadly often appear as uh, just another group of infighting individuals. It's important for unity so that the world will see us as lights, so that they're going to want what we have. Now, I thought it was interesting when I read this that you would think that if, um, if, we, if we did have a personal relationship with Christ and, and that we valued what He valued, that we loved what He loved, and as he's obviously the supreme servant, that, that we would value that too. Um, but, but it's interesting that in, in the first book of, the first part of the chapter of, of the second chapter of Philippians, Paul, um, he needs to urge people to live in, to, to be servants to one another. Indeed, in, uh, in Philippians chapter 4, I realize I'm skipping around a little bit here. I apologize for that. We see that... Uh, we see that uh, two women, and I'm going to, forgive me if you know the true pronunciations of these names, uh, I urge Uodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So he's writing to Christians. He's writing to people who are struggling in the cause of the gospel, and yet he still has to urge them to live in harmony, these two ladies to live in harmony. And I don't know what that looks like. You know, I don't know if they were different classes or if they had different personalities. I mean, it's left to our imagination. But the fact is that we need to work on, on such things, even though uh, ideally it should just happen. Uh, it doesn't always just happen. And so we need encouragement um, to do that, and that's going to be the balance of my message this morning, is to just encourage us to be servants to one another in the body of Christ. I'm going to read the first part of uh, Philippians 2 now, starting in verse 1. You know, uh, these two ladies, the, the solution to their harmony problems is verses 1 through 4 of Philippians chapter chapter 2. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, and by the way, there is all those things. It's kind of a rhetorical device. It's not like there isn't encouragement in Christ. Um, Paul's just making a point. Verse 2, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And these verses are just jam-packed with um, 
just great little phrases. And I mean, it's convicting on one hand, but it's also just very edifying. Um, I think of the word, the two words, empty conceit, together. You know, the word empty, and how when we fall short, or when we look out for our own selves only, or that that's that doesn't bear fruit like like serving each other does. I think of uh, humility of mind. To see uh, this worked out, uh, Tanya was uh, talking to me about her Bible study fellowship, and they're going through the book of Acts, and uh, she was reminded of of Acts chapter 2. Early in the, very early in the church's history, when the Holy Spirit had just come, Peter had just given his sermon, Lots of people were coming to the Lord, and in verse 44 it says, All those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. I mean, it sounds like, it sounds like heaven to me. You know, it sounds like a, 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 a utopia and... When I read this, you know, when I used to read it, I used to kind of get, uh, it didn't sound good because it sounds like socialism. It sounds like, you know, it sounds like communism and all the, the nasty things you think of when you talk about imposed, things imposed by a government. But the fact is that this is, and I'll stop using the word socialism, this is really uh, uh, Holy Spirit-led servanthood taken to its, uh, taken to a great, and good extreme. And there's no reason that we can't practice this, and in fact we do practice it here, where we help people out when they're in need, uh, financially or, or helping with physical tasks like meals after a baby or uh, painting someone's house or moving, stuff like that. You know, these are things that we, we could and should do um, to serve each other and to maintain the, uni- the, the unity that we should have. Shifting gears a little bit, I'd I'd like to know: uh, Has any uh, have any? Uh, this is to another example, but has any uh, history buffs here ever checked out the Medal of Honor website? There's a there's a website you can go to that uh, if you just type in Medal of Honor citations, it'll take you to this website the Army maintains of all the uh, Medal of Honors citations ever ever issued. And I read through some of them. They're just really encouraging. I mean, even if you're not a history buff, it, the sacrifice that you see there in, the, in those citations is just very inspiring. I'm going to read about a, a man named Thomas Baker. Uh, I'm only going to read half of his citation since it's really long. He was pretty busy. Um, he, was in, he was on the island of Saipan. He's in the U.S. Army. Uh, I think it's funny. It says, Sergeant, then Private Baker. Uh, on July 7, 1944, the perimeter of which Sergeant Baker was a part of was attacked from three sides by between 3,000 and 5,000 Japanese. During the early stages of this attack, Sergeant Baker was seriously wounded, but he insisted on remaining in the line and fired at the enemy at, at ranges sometimes as close as five yards until his ammunition ran out. Without ammunition and with his own weapon battered to uselessness from hand-to-hand combat, he was carried about 50 yards to the rear by a comrade who was then himself wounded. 
At this point, Sergeant Baker refused to be moved any further, stating that he preferred to be left to die rather than risk the lives of any more of his friends. A short time later, at his request, he was placed in a sitting position against a small tree. Another comrade, offering, or another comrade withdrawing, offer, again offered assistance. Sergeant Baker refused, insisting that he be left alone and be given a soldier's pistol with its remaining eight rounds of ammunition. When last seen alive, Sergeant Baker was propped up against a tree, pistol in hand, calmly facing the foe. Later, Sergeant B Baker's body was found in the same position, gun empty with a Japanese lying dead before him. His deeds were in keeping with the highest traditions of the United States Army. Thomas Baker and other people like him, they had, they had, a, they had a common goal to defeat Germany and Japan. And they had and also to, um, to inspire their, their comrades and to lay down their own lives for their comrades. And in the same way, um, Paul includes the ultimate, if you will, Medal of, Medal of Honor citation in the, rest of, in the middle of Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus who, although he existed in the form of, a, of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obe obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven, and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. These examples show us the way that, that we need to live, and, and nothing that will be, nothing that we're commonly day to day asked to, to do, rises to the level of difficulty that that these that these examples show us. I'd like to just. Uh, go over a few just practical examples that I came up with, by no means an exhausted list of, of, of uh, things that we can do to live, to be servants to one another, to live in harmony with one another, like Euodia and Syntyche. Um, and so uh, I just have five things here, um, and maybe you'll identify with some of them. Uh, point number one. Uh, don't be easily offended. Uh, people say things that they don't really haven't thought through many times, and I'm I've been. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if I've done if I've said something that's offended one of you people because I tend to do that. I have a I tend to talk before I think, and I've done that at work too. But you know, if somebody does that, and and you think, and you kind of get the feeling that they just weren't thinking when they said something, and if it's kind of it's not a part of a pattern of them always doing it. Um, um, be prepared to give them a little benefit of the doubt and not to harbor hurt or, or um, a grudge or, you know, words can hurt and I don't want to play that down, but at the same time, people don't always um, consciously mean to hurt your feelings either. I have a personal example like, uh, that I can share. Um, since he's not here to defend himself, uh, I was over at uh, Jim Cotter's house one time, and uh, 
I think Tanya might have, and the kids might have been out of town, and they had me over for dinner. So I was over there eating at their table, and uh, Eliana, for those of you who don't know, Jim, it's, they have a small, they have a small, uh, they have a young daughter named Eliana, and, and she was uh, throwing a ring-tailed fit at the, at the uh, table. And, uh, you know, uh, being a parent, and sometimes, I don't know how you, you guys will understand if you had young kids, but you can tell when, when they're, uh, they're not just throwing a fit, but they're actually kind of getting a dig in at you. And I kind of blurted out at one point after a particularly uh, little episode, I just said, she just, she just flipped you off, Jim. <laughs> you know, I just kind of said that. I just sort of blurted, I just sort of blurted it out. And because I kind of felt that's what she was doing, you know. She was dis, she's disrespecting him. Anyway, as soon as I said it, I thought, well, that was stupid to say that. <laughs> and, uh, but I didn't say anything at the time. You know, we just kept eating, and no one said anything. And, we, you know, it wasn't bad. But, I was, but then we had a Bible study that next morning together, morning Bible study. And I thought, you know, I need to say something to Jim. I just know that that wasn't right. And, and uh, which leads me to point number two, by the way. Uh, if you think you've offended someone, offer an apology. So, uh, so after we had our Bible study, I said, well, you know, Jim, you know, last night at the table, I probably shouldn't have, you know, I said that thing about, you know, Eliana flipping you off. And that was, I probably could have chose a way to say something better, and, you know, so I'm sorry about that. And he said, well, I appreciate that. And I think maybe, you know, that kind of made me believe, <laughs> kind of made me believe that maybe I really had offended him. Anyway, but, but the point of the matter is that after... After all that, you know, we had a good talk about parenting, and it was really good. You know, if I hadn't a kind of, if I hadn't a come clean about my foot in the mouth, I, we may not have ever had that conversation. So, you know, I, there's, it's, a, it's a balancing act because, you know, you can get kind of hypersensitive to what people say, and you can almost make up, you can kind of fool yourself about, about these kinds of things. But, you know, if, if God kind of leads you to believe, like you've said something, um, and, uh, and if you don't wait, you know, months about it until the person's forgot, you know, just go, go ahead and apologize or, you know, take the chance that maybe you did. I know I've never been, I've talked to people and thought I said something stupid, and they, I've had a coworker say, well, I never thought, thought a thing about that. And, you know, and I've never have been accused of, of uh, I've, been, I've never been accosted about apologizing. So it's something that's pretty much a, a win-win situation. Uh, number three, if someone sinned against you, admonish him gently as a brother. That's 2 Thessalonians uh, verse three, or chapter 3, verse 15, paraphrased. And I kind of want to home in on, on the second part, admonish him gently as a brother. You know, when, you're, when somebody's hurt you, or when, some, or, when you're, um, or when somebody, maybe, I don't even know if it's a... If it's a if they've hurt you personally or if it's just obvious that they've done wrong. I know in that, in that context, I think there's actually fellowship that's broken. But even at, this, but even at that, you know, we want to do everything that we can to uh, allow somebody to come back to the Lord or come back to fellowship. In parenting classes, it talks about um, uh, allowing your child to surrender with dignity and I kind of am reminded by that when, with, with this passage. You know, so with our speech, we want to do everything we can um, to help that whole process. The, anything that's up to us, we want to be able to, to, to make it happen by our speech. 
Number four, have humility when discussing theology. Um, I'll never forget searching out a uh, on the internet uh, discussions about predestination versus uh, uh, volition, or you know, people who believe that that uh, you choose your own destiny with God. And we are not going there this morning. However, <laughs> but I was, you know, at the time this was a year or so ago. I was I was looking through it and kind of. And I saw this this uh, discussion, this bulletin board discussion about about this, and the the people who believed you could choose, they were they were attacking the concept of the predestination people's God, and they were seeing that they were saying they were using language like this that 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 God spiritually rapes people if He elects them. I mean, and when I read those words coming from one Christian to another about about describing the God that they love in those in that kind of terms, you know, that just really that really cut me to the quick and it really affected my I just thought there's no way these people can these are supposed to be Christian brothers, you know. It's fine to have a discussion and I understand that doctrine I don't want to minimize doctrine or or theology by this, but I just mean that when we have discussions about about things like this, that we can't use we can't use language like like that or or even less than less uh, egregious than that to, to pretend to be a know-it-all or to, you know, we need to have we need to have humility when we speak the truth and try to convey the truth to people and have an and have an interaction with other brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, those people those people on that discussion board they should have they could still have unity even if they had those differing viewpoints if they still had Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. You know. Those are, those are important details, and I don't want to minimize how we are saved and how God does that. But you can still have Christian unity with, with people like that. But they don't, because they made it into a big uh, attack. And Satan's laughing all the way to the bank, because here's these Christians fighting amongst one another when they could, be, they could still be um, being lights to the world and, and spreading the gospel. Uh, number five... This always works into my sermons because I have a pro- I always struggle with it. And that is, don't be envious of what other people have. Uh, you know, if I if I want Dan's house or if I want uh, uh, Mike's cars, you know, and I'm looking at those things and I'm not thinking about, and if I if I'm preoccupied with materialism, then I'm not thinking I'm not valuing what God values, and I'm not trying to spread the gospel. I can't because my resources, my emotional energy is all spent up thinking about those things, you know. We need to adopt the the, uh, the attitude of not valuing what moth and rust are going to destroy. You know, in summarizing these, any any list that you'd make, um, you know, Philippians, rereading Philippians chapter 2 verses 4 and 5 is always good. Do not merely look out for your own special, your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others, having this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. You know, in conclusion, you know, we need to keep our eye on the prize. We need to remember what's important and to have an internal perspective. And I'd like to uh, close now by, by just praying for, for me personally and, and also for, for us corporately that we will... Um, that we will treat each other at a, uh, with an attitude of, a, of servanthood, that we will keep Christ in his high place, and that, um, and that 
together that we can, that we can value what he values and, and further the cause of the gospel. Lord, we all have feet of clay and, and we fail at various times, but I am um, so thankful that you reign from heaven on high, that you've given these words for us to read and, and for us to be encouraged by, by your example, Lord Jesus, your life on the earth and your sacrifice on the cross for our sins. Thankful that you've called us, our, that you've called us to be your adopted children. And I just pray, Lord, that, that you would... Um, Empower each one of us to, by your Holy Spirit, as the early believers in Acts, that you would help us to um, suppress our own uh, carnal desires and to lay them at the foot of your cross and to instead to be servants to one another and to remember that, that telling other people about you and furthering your, your kingdom is greater than anything else. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.